The Florida Horse Podcast is presented by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. The American Horse Council encourages Florida horse owners and businesses to take the Economic Impact Survey. Showcasing the economic impact from this survey helps inform local and state political leaders, encourages investment in land and equine businesses and job impact. Take the survey today. Visit horsecouncil.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by Horse Capital TV and the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. Welcome to the Florida Horse Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association. I'm Tammy Gatt, and I'm joined by our wonderful guest today, University of Florida professor, Dr. Sandra Tenbrook. You have such a wealth of knowledge, it's hard to narrow down. So one of the questions I asked you was maybe some research that's going on in your sure. department or field related to artificial intelligence or just some research that we can tie back to the thoroughbred sure. Um, listeners. Sure. Um, and so I, I'm very privileged to be at the University of Florida because of the folks that I get to work with. We have a tremendous equine faculty and staff. And um, at whenever you're in a faculty position, you have either teaching and extension, extension and research, or research and teaching. So there's everybody has two hats that they wear. And so our researchers, um, the primary researchers for equine, there's four of them. Lori Warren is an equine nutritionist. Um, a phenomenal lady. She also has done research in exercise physiology. So the main focus of her research currently is making the most out of the fiber portion of the diet for gut health. Um, you hear a lot on TV about the microbiome and facilitating good, um, good health of our gut. Well, the same is true for the horse. And we often forget that the concentrate portion of the diet, which feed companies do a great job providing balanced rations, but we really need to pay attention to the forage portion of the diet. And so her work focuses on gut health and also the immune system and, and um, the immune system and gut health and the microbiome all go hand in hand. Um, Carissa, good, sorry. Health, good health equals good immune system. Absolutely. And, you know, nobody wants a colicky horse or a laminitic horse and gut health plays a big role in that. And so we can do a lot of things through our forage management system. Um, another, I'll try to go chronologically. Our next person who's been here the longest would be Samantha Brooks. And she is like cutting edge researcher. You talked about the supercomputer. So Dr. Brooks utilizes genetic and genomic information to help us understand traits that are important for equine performance, equine health, and equine welfare. So she uses that supercomputer because when we're looking at the genome of the horse, you're talking about huge data sets. And so that's something that's just commonplace. And she's more of a qualitative geneticist as opposed to a quantitative geneticist. Um, so she looks at skeletal system, behavior, and locomotor traits. And currently she's doing work where she uses artificial intelligence to analyze movement without having to put markers on the horse and running videos. So she's got some cool cutting edge that's, kind of research. That's incredible because when you, you think about it, anything you can do to move forward on the progress of the horse health and, and diagnostics is incredible. Absolutely. Pre prevention versus something happening and then going back and have to figure yep. it out. And so how did, was, this is kind of an AI question, 
she had to learn the language of AI or does she work with the people at HyperGator, which is what it's called, isn't called Hyper AI Gator, yeah. um, which is one of the few supercomputers in the world right. and you have students and faculty have access to it. Or does she, so does she does she have to learn some AI skills first or do, does she able to, or is she able to give her data sets in a way that um, the folks on the other side kind of process it for her? I think all of the above, but um, we have a huge, we have a genetics institute at the University of Florida. And so it's across disciplines, across species, and she's been a part of that genetics institute and so as they develop data sets there are people that that's their specialty to manage those data sets and send back analysis analytical information and then it's the researchers responsibility to take that data and apply it to things that are going to be useful to the horse trainer or the horse breeder it's really futuristic because i i went online to see your programs and the first thing i saw in one section was you know agricultural sciences and ai and there's a beginning course you can take for free sure and then there's 190 uh, 49 dollar module which is basically introductions i'm sure to get you interested into those degree programs sure and it was the first time i believe i've seen the connection of both sure so really, really fascinating stuff there. It is definitely the wave of the future. We just took a group of students on a, um, a nationwide tour for a week. We covered like eight states in eight days. And uh, we went to a dairy that used robotic milking. And so there's, it's as we move forward and AI continues to emerge, and we continue to struggle with labor issues because finding people that want to do the menial tasks gets harder and harder. I think we're going to see more use of AI. Yeah, well, I, I grew up with animals, and I love animals. I milked goats and milked cows, but I sure wouldn't mind if in the morning when I um, had to milk the cow before school, you know, if, if there was some sort of robotics there that milked for <laughs> me, and I could spend more time enjoying the cow, petting sure. her, you know, brushing her, and just talking to the, the animals, and, and just enjoying being on in a farm setting versus sure. some of that labor. Now, I think the labor is great in some ways because it really teaches you hard work and ethics and values and also makes you appreciate uh, I think your animals and agriculturalists and farmers so much more, but I do think those labor intensive ones are hard to fill roles. Absolutely. And so at some point there might be that for, you know, manure management and stall cleaning is what sure. I, I sort of envision and maybe something along those lines with some, some other things. So it's interesting to hear that you actually saw cows being milked robotically. Sure. I would love to have the robots try that on my wily goats and see what happens. It needs to be on large scale. It's pretty expensive at this point. I've got point. 30 now, so I don't know. It seems pretty large scale. But okay. So, um, so what are a couple two of the researchers. So yeah. Carissa Wickens is one of our, the third uh, in terms of longevity. She um, is a behaviorist by training. Her specialty is stereotypies and most specifically cribbing. So her research revolves around the relationships between how we manage our horses and the horse's behavior to optimize horse welfare. So behavior and welfare is her kind of her thing. And um, looking at forage management systems or the interaction of horses and humans. And uh, there's a tremendous international um, blend of psychology and behavior looking at horse-human interactions. We've seen it with PTSD studies and hippotherapy, therapeutic riding, but um, we know that's a thing, and it's not just horses, other animals that we consider companion animals. But we want to enhance human safety and horse performance by 
understanding their behavior and assuring their welfare because we definitely take them away from, in most cases, we take them away from their natural environment. So in that case, like the safety, so so making sure that you understand the horse's behavior, not that you could put them in an environment with someone that's a non-horse person, like in a PTSD setting, and work with someone. I mean, you would obviously still have people there that know horses, sure. but the idea is the horses could maybe do more, but also... Uh, be healthy in every way while doing it. Yeah, and identifying personality factors about the horse that would make them suitable for that kind of environment and that kind of interaction. Yeah, because there's so. certain horses that have an affinity to just want to love people and be around people. And there's horses that that are a little bit like people. Sometimes they just want to be on their yeah, own. Yeah, absolutely. They'd like to be in the back of the pasture and hey, if, with if, their horse buddies. With their horse buddies. Yeah. Sure. And so I think that that I always look at horses a little bit like people. Sometimes I see different horses' personalities, and but really honing in on that, I think really important it is and finding the again determinants before you see it because a lot of times I see horses and I understand their language and their body language because I grew up with them but I always wonder well steps back is the horse behaving that way maybe because they don't feel well sure you know or something's going on with them that we might be able to determine in other ways prior to even seeing that exhibit and be able to address it so the horse never gets to that point of being irritable if you will yeah, identifying what is normal so that when abnormal happens, you can you can head things off at the pass before they get bad. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, and then the fourth person that's our newest hire is Brad Daniel. And probably for the thoroughbred industry, his work is not important because it has to, uh, the main thing he's working on right now is sperm optimization for assisted reproductive technologies. So that's not something of interest to the thoroughbred industry, but some of the things we learn could in fact um, relate back to live natural cover. Um, he's also been working with um, Dr. Jason Bremer, who is from Colorado State, but now works in tandem with the BLM with the um, feral horse populations and looking at ways to immunize mares and or stallions for anti-fertility because mm-hmm. the unwanted horse problem is huge and the feral population, the amount of tax dollars spent on maintaining this growing population of feral horses an issue. So we always think about reproduction research to enhance reproduction, but we also need to think about it the other way. How do we provide contraception for horses um, in a runaway population growth situation. Yeah, where they, they're a detriment to themselves sure. and, and the environment they're in. So sure. when I was a youth, uh, when I was 11, we adopted 13 Mustangs from out west, oh, wow. the prior mountain range. And so I felt I had done my part as, <laughs> as helping with the, the herds. And it's amazing because wild horses are a, a part of our heritage, just like the American bald eagle or, or the buffalo or bison. So it is important that this research goes goes in both ways. So sure. while I'm looking at it going, wow, I wish there was a way to connect that so the more mares could get in full, um, you know, that the sperm is viable so that also once they get in full, that they stay in full and that, and that the stallion can, you know, bring the optimum number of mares and keep his condition at the same time. Right. And so uh, those type of things are important. But in the AI setting, you're right, maybe when they do that, he can apply some of that to the, to see those contraception rates go up. Because I think when we look at it across the board, I don't know if there's been enough research in the thoroughbred world. I think some farms do a lot of research. They're always testing the, the sperm motility, what it looks like throughout the season, sure. how it, it, it tails off, um, and then looks at the condition of the horse for that, the stallion. But also I believe that, that some don't have that capability, don't have the lab set or all of that extra things that they could put into place um, to do. And so knowing that there might be small things that they can do, incremental things, um, in advance of that stallion being prepared to sure. to um, 
um, be a, a standing stud and, and would be great information for people to have. Absolutely. Yeah, that dismount sample that you look at under the scope and if there's enough of it to go ahead and stand it and reinforce the breeding, all of that's important because a mare comes up open and we want to, you know, who do we blame? Is it the mare's father stallion support? So the more information you have, maybe it's a stallion who's aging out and three times a day, six days a week isn't working anymore. Maybe you have to adjust his book size. So all that information is very helpful. And there's some really good farms out there that collect a lot of, of clinical, of empirical data that maybe isn't a suggested study. But working with folks like that is, is something we can and should be doing to help make things better. Yeah, for all breeds. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we Profitability think Profitability is important. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, because while we enjoy our horses, there is a profit side to that. And sure. what, where we can maximize their health and their performance, whatever, whatever role that might be. Well, thank you for coming in today. It was a pleasure. I, I really appreciate it. Actually, time flew. And um, so we'll have to have you back again sometime soon. The Florida Horse Podcast is presented by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association.